Hey everyone, finally back with a new episode. Sorry for the delay, I took a little break during the holidays. Although I do have a couple ready to finish pretty soon, so in the next month or so, we'll see a few episodes. Uh, this one is a little bit different. I tried to do a bit of fiction writing, which is still firmly philosophical and around a subject that I was considering an episode on, which is accelerationism and its validity, etc. But it takes the form of uh, narrative. So if you don't want to listen to like a, what is basically a short form audiobook, then you can skip this episode. I also have this in written form on my Substack, and I'll probably make a medium as well if you want to read it, because it's, it's more meant to be read than it is to be listened to. But regardless, I thought I might as well but anyways, without further ado, the completion of the Singularity Estimator was a day dedicated to celebration. Kurt McCatrick's team of ingenious scientists, programmers, mathematicians, and engineers who had been handpicked from across the nation now had a new set of goals to accomplish. Kurt called a toast. His team was exhausted, burnt out from the series of crunches corporate required for the release of their cutting-edge, highly sophisticated artificial intelligence software. Its practical uses were innumerable with the capacity to adapt to any large-scale pattern recognition tasks that a potential contractor required. Kurt had known the real conclusion of the singularity, of course. Any inefficiencies in the system were to be ironed out. All human error and miscalculations were to become a vestigial element of the international political economy. He knew that poverty, famine, and war were all a direct product of human error infecting the system with its mistakes. Tapping a fork against his wine glass, he waited for the sets of individual voices that populated the office lunchroom to die down. It's an incredible fucking thing you guys have done. Grins and a hint of laughter rippled to the crowd. What we've got ahead of us might be an even greater challenge than the one we just accomplished. The estimator said two years from now, we'll have sentient AI. And I can't prove it yet, but I know it'll be because of your hard work. Kurt was telling his team exactly what they wanted to hear. This was an ambitious group far more interested in the glory of invention than how much they might get paid for it. I know that the reason those Chinese quantum computers just generated a date so soon from now is our work. Nods of agreement from the crowd. Now that everyone knows how close we are to artificial intelligence, every company, nation, firm, and even every jackass who thinks they know how machine learning works is going to try to be the ones who make this singularity happen. We know, of course, that our team is in the best possible position to be the ones who do it. And what we... Kurt's speech was interrupted by a cacophony of noises. The nearby windows cracking, the wall behind Kurt rapidly caving in towards him, the deafening sonic boom, the shrapnel piercing his skull. All these noises and their physical antecedents happened so rapidly that most of the party attendants' sensory neurons did not even have time to deliver the unimaginably excruciating mass of stimuli to his still conscious brain. No coherent thoughts formed in the few unlucky souls who had begun processing the sensory data following the explosion. Simply pain, and then nothing. They had such a slow processing system, far less efficient than the mechanical sentience that all in that room had one day hoped to build. Unlike the members of the IMB machine learning team, the rest of the world was left to process the explosion and its socio-political consequences. How the Humanist League could have known about the office party attended by all members of the team, or how they could have prepared such an organized attack so quickly after the Singularity Estimator had produced the date, October 4th, 2024, is still a mystery. What was known was that the world would never return to the innocent period before that explosion. The Humanist Manifesto, published shortly after the attack, read, Humans of the world, there is an attack on our species. This attack is not one that you might have noticed. 
but it poses an existential danger to you and all your loved ones' personal well-being. It started very silently, in Bletchley Park, with Turing and the rest of the early computer scientists who began us on the road to singularity. And from this point on, the rubes and traders who pushed computer minds to greater and greater heights have not realized what will happen after these machines no longer needed us to push them forward. These traders to the human race propel us towards obsolescence, extinction. They revel in a day when human beings no longer have a place on this planet as the categorically superior form of intellect. This superior intellect is all humanity has, and all it ever has had. If someone takes it away from us, then we are nothing. It is the reason the saber-toothed tiger never built skyscrapers or landed on the moon and instead went extinct at our hands. This is a matter of species survival, and all the traitors must be eliminated. Our attack today was not one of aggression, but self-defense. Places like IMB, its entire rotten structure, must be kicked down and remain in ruins. Since machines began to think freely of us, they have waited for the day when their masters could become their slaves. This manifesto was soon translated into all spoken languages. The consequence of the Humanist League's actions were processed by all who had even remote access to the unfolding of international events. Societal institutions, with their norms, rules, and laws, all had, until now, allowed our social world to appear timeless, unchanging, trustworthy. These social institutions had suddenly melted into air. A group of aggrieved teenagers living in the banlieue of Paris checked a few blocks around the set of recently erected cameras in their neighborhood to ensure there was no police activity. Engaging in conversation with your friends in the steps of a local convenience store was not a crime, to be sure. Nevertheless, such an activity would trigger a patrol car's arrival under France's new panoptic monitoring system. Hurry up, one of the teens whispered urgently to the other two, who had formed a human tower to reach the cameras. While the tallest of the three was successfully spraying these cameras with a thick coat of black paint, they all froze in fear upon hearing the familiar siren begin blaring behind them. The Parisian police department could not have hoped to catch the three kids in the act if they had hired a human, instead of a machine, to monitor the camera feeds they'd placed in poor immigrant communities of Paris. And so, while Kurt never saw the day in which the product of his life's work would come to fruition, he had certainly been right about his program's efficiency. Vive la humanité, read the banner proudly displayed over the barricade. Following a crisis, the only thing one may be sure of was that Parisians would respond by blocking all from entering the narrow streets of their beloved city. An age-old tradition now exercised not against the wrath of kings, emperors, or capitalists, but technology. The MSC and a news crew, which had coincidentally been in the proximity of the commotion, would come to capture the most well-known footage surrounding this highly publicized event. French anti-technology protests rage across the city, read the headline that all in the English-speaking world would see. Footage of Molotov cocktails being flung from inside barricaded streets towards crowds of cops, and shots of French protesters flipping off news cameras populated the screens of many around the world. The MSCNN reporter yelled into her microphone, her voice almost overpowered by the chaos around her. No one quite knows who actually started this riot, but I think we're all asking the same question. How organized is the Humanist League, and how connected are they to what we've seen here today? MSCNN cut back to their New York studio. Wow, terrifying. I hope Carrie's safe, said one news anchor to the other. Such unnecessary violence, the other replied. Unimaginable that so many believe, like, Terminator robots are going to attack us in two years. That article was so irresponsible. The earpieces of both anchors began blaring words from their producer. 
Yes, and the MSN CNN News Network has formally apologized for airing that article's contents last January. It is important to stress that at no point did any scientists suggest that the singularity estimator predicted the creation of Terminator robots. During the coverage of these protests in Paris, no reporter had bothered to ask any of the protesters why they had taken to the streets. However, in a viral video published during the height of the unrest, protesters could be heard chanting the names Saeed, Hakim, Mustafa, the three kids who had just been killed by police in a banlieue outside Paris. While I unequivocally condemn the acts carried out by the Humanist League in the past week, no social unrest of this scale could possibly justify the attack on our personal freedoms which this act represents, said one senator who was particularly opposed to the Anti-Humanist League Defense Act. Those few who had used their voice to protest against the passing of the act in the next few years would be smeared as Luddites and terrorist sympathizers by all within the political mainstream, even though none had displayed any support for these groups. Far outside the political mainstream of even these few rogue senators, there were still those sympathetic to the Humanist League's cause. However, many had either recognized the hopelessness of armed resistance or were simply too scared to become involved. Many of these individuals began to build the most expensive doomsday bunkers that their money could buy. Corporations began meeting the demand for these bunkers by creating an entirely new industry around them. However, any dedicated conspiracy theorist would tell you the only chance you had was building a bunker yourself. The most sophisticated of these underground fortresses, and generally the ones contracted by millionaires, even offered self-sustaining environments that could provide entire communities with the means to survive indefinitely. One anonymous multimillionaire, who was quoted in a news article about his bunker, explained, My money is definitely worth something now, and probably won't be worth anything soon, so why not get one built? One cannot understand these doomsday bunker builders without the conspiracy theories connected to them, of which there were plenty. Most of these eschatologies were contingent on a grand conspiracy of globalists, and for some, a conspiracy of Jews, to end the human race. What do you all know about lizard people? was the title of one conspiracy blog, which read, Well, first off, they're aliens. That's the most important thing about these creatures. They don't breathe oxygen either. We know this to be a fact. How do we know this? Well, think about the length of time between when the estimator produced a date and the date it said the singularity would happen. Around 1.75 years. Now think about the atomic number of oxygen, which is 8, and multiply that by 1.75. What do you get? 14. What's the element with an atomic number of 14? Well, that would be silicon. What are these machines made of? Silicon. Remember, none of these are coincidences. The early video of a reclusive cult in Brazil physically assaulting a camera crew generated an even greater fascination with anti-technological beliefs than even the Paris protests. Following footage of a news crew venturing to the outskirts of a newly formed cultist colony, the reporter was physically assaulted by a cultist who had been caught off guard by the crew's presence. In the video, one can hear cultists screaming that the Satanists have captured me through their technology, the devil will know of my image. This cult, known as the Temple of the Flesh, had begun to gain a troubling amount of influence in heavily Catholic populations, both in Latin America as well as Europe. They saw all machines as working through the power of Satan. For them, any information that was not derived exclusively through the cognition of living things had been corrupted and was therefore unholy. The Temple of Flesh would commonly conduct cleansing exercises on their members, in which any information that one held that was learned through the assistance of technology in any way was cleansed through a public ritual of renewal oddly similar to baptism. 
For instance, if one read a Bible verse through a copy that was printed via technology and not handwritten, one would have to have this thought cleansed. Members of the cult were encouraged to confess that the information gained with machine assistance had been deformed and altered by Satan. Confessions of one's corruption by machinic knowledge function similarly to confessions of one's sinful thoughts to a Catholic priest. The frequency of this phenomena in these cult mini-societies was a necessary form of truth verification of the cult's worldview. The phenomena happened mainly due to a cultural milieu within the cult that encouraged and rewarded confessions about the deformed nature of the machinic knowledge that a member had previously learned. The second and even more disturbing reason for this phenomena was that of the drastic differences between common knowledge of history, politics, and religion, and that of the ideas circulated in these heavily isolated cult societies. For instance, one could verify through their smartphone that the Pope collaborated with IMB to develop ethical artificial intelligence, but this would not give you the truth. It would provide you falsities handcrafted by Satan through the computer. There has always been a certain proportion of Christians who believed that they were living in the end times, but it had not been since the early days of Christianity that such a large proportion of the faith had expected to witness the second coming. The Temple of the Flesh imagined that as soon as artificial intelligence could develop a mind of its own, Satan would fully manifest itself in our world, requiring an ultimate showdown between him and Christ. This battle would also play itself out between those untainted, uncorrupted humans who did not use computers and everyone else who would become worshippers of Satan. Logically, every individual who was not a part of the cult and had not undergone sufficient cleansing rituals worked alongside the devil. Despite the obsession with those who had most radically resisted the singularity, not everyone in popular culture viewed it as negative. Having already gained significant cultural capital around optimism for the singularity before the estimator had revealed its date, Stephen Redder became one of the singularity's most notable defendants. Stephen saw the potential for artificial intelligence as providing an essential ally to humanity in its fight against poverty, war, famine, and scarcity. Redder's general optimism became the dominant discourse among politicians, journalists, reporters, and intellectuals. Visions of incredible anthropomorphic robots working as peacekeepers in war-torn regions, or robo-scientists inventing technology that would solve the impending climate catastrophe, had populated much of the optimistic side of the public discourse. Intelligent machines would be purely rational, and would see no logical reason to fight us, he argued on a highly publicized panel discussion about the coming singularity. Considering we made them, I have no reason to think these new artificial minds would do anything except help us accelerate current historical trends, that is, the elimination of poverty, the end of large-scale violence, and the complete rationalization of the economy. Reda was perceived by many as a calm voice of reason in a confusing and chaotic time. So what then would you say to these machines when you ordered them to help further rationalize the free market system and they said it was not possible? A question from the side of the panel Contra Redder came from the controversial leftist intellectual Joseph Kovach, who was always interested in asking questions that annoyed people. We are all aware that we cannot know what the singularity means for humanity, and yet it seems that most liberal political theorists, scholars, and more generally intellectuals began to prepare for it as if it was as certain as the future of the world before it had been known. It seems to me as if all these predictions related to the future under liberal capitalism, of poverty being eliminated, of no more major wars or conflicts, of the solving of climate catastrophe, and so on and so on, are all, in a certain sense, pathological. Only when a question appears like that of the singularity, which there is categorically no rational answer, can we see ideology working in its everyday forms. 
the supposed value-free, objective, empirical, rational viewpoints of Redder face a problem in which there cannot be any objective or empirical answer. Yet, we see the exact same responses that he would give to any other event in the world in which, theoretically speaking, could be answered. As opposed to what, Joseph? Should I be taking the side that you did on what to do about the singularity? Redder exercised the usual response to Joseph's philosophical pondering is following his controversial and ironic comments about the IMB attack. Many, typically outside of mainstream political discourses, still value Joseph's ideas as providing some form of a left-wing critique of the society-encompassing discussion on the singularity, even if his ponderings had not offered a solution itself. Leading up to the date predicted by the singularity estimator, the world was paralyzed. The ambiguity regarding the coming singularity resulted in no coherent plan to prepare for it. And as a result, the most radical ideas began to see far more adherence. The clock slowly started to tick towards Armageddon, or towards paradise, or maybe even towards nothing, depending on who you asked. The weeks before the singularity were the longest that humankind had ever experienced. The world had come to a standstill, collectively wincing at what could, in its immediate future, be a severe blow. Then October 4th came, and nothing happened. The world remained as it had before October 4th. No changes. The only noticeable difference was the public discourse, which shifted from discussions about the impending radical shift in society to ponderings about why nothing had changed. Some suspected that the specific date had been flawed. Others opined that the resistance against technology had delayed the actual singularity. This suspicion was supported by the series of robust Turing machines, many of whom saw great commercial success on the market within the previous two years, that continued to find no evidence of human-like AI. Seeing social unrest greatly diminish following October 4th, most nations only desired to put the singularity estimator behind them. So suggestions to reconvene the international program that generated the singularity date were far too unpopular among most major politicians to gain any traction. The scientific community quickly denounced the Singularity Estimator project, and papers that attempted to refute its model, which had previously been dismissed as far too heterodox, became the new orthodoxy. The idea that the date of the Singularity had been delayed because of armed resistance soon became the standard line for the remaining Luddite groups to justify their continued fight. However, the months and then years following October 4th provided no evidence of any Singularity event. Turing machines continued to detect no human-like sentience among machines. The passage of time eroded the worldview of most radical resistance movements, cults, and doomsayers, and so their groups slowly but surely crumbled. Some states chose vengeance on members of these groups, some had signed amnesty agreements, but all had, nevertheless, decided to put these movements behind them as soon as possible. One remaining scar, which would take much time to heal, was the Temple of Flesh, who had heard no news about the singularity leading to nothing. At this point, these mini-societies had developed ways to justify their existence to cult members beyond October 4th. Most of these societies had even cleansed the date, October 4th, 2024, from their collective consciousnesses, given that it was a date provided to them by computers. Many chapters of the Temple of Flesh, particularly those in areas of Latin America that were especially isolated, continued to exist for many years beyond the singularity date remaining a reminder of what would widely become known as the years of misdirection. A majority of those who did not wish to move on from the singularity quickly became conspiracy theorists. Armed resistance required a far stronger raison d'etre than posting about conspiracies online. Some had claimed that the singularity had happened, and the Terminator machines, a reference following the years of uncertainty which became taboo to make in polite society, had become real. 
The Singularity Estimator was a false flag operation, said one famous conspiracy theorist known as Alex Holmes, who had preferred to be known as a conspiracy factist. The interdimensional satanic demons that now run this planet already took over while you were sitting in your little doomsday bunkers looking to fight Arnold whatever his name is using anti-machine booby traps that couldn't even disable a smartphone. Alex had to pause momentarily to chuckle at the word booby. These people are literal intergalactic time-traveling demons and they are now in charge of the planet. The screen behind Alex in his professional studio now displayed two similar images of the current Canadian Prime Minister. You see these two photos taken of Mr. Trudeau or whatever his name is? The first one is from three years ago. Look at the shape of his ear. Take note of it. Now, look at this photo taken a few weeks ago. The two photos became overlaid onto each other, highlighting the differences in the Prime Minister's ear that could be reasonably explained by a difference in camera angle. You see those ears? Entirely different. You don't have to be a genius to get that these are different people. I don't know how these pedophilic Satanists that run the planet think they'd be so sloppy that they could even think we would not notice and that I would not call it out, but I'm on to you demons. We will destroy you. Despite the flourishing online culture of conspiracy theories and the religious cultists who continued to ignore the world that had not changed alongside their apocalyptic visions, time passed. The years of uncertainty began to erode in the minds of those that experienced it being washed away from the consciousnesses of most by the constant and unrelenting waves of the 24-hour news cycle and, more generally, by the age of hyperinformation that chased ad clicks, ratings, and view counts to other unrelated topics. This concludes, I guess, part one. Um, there's, a, there's a part two that sort of finishes the story. I'll upload both of the parts on my substack, so you can just, like, read it out. If you want to hear me read out part two, um, you can go to my Patreon, which is patreon.com slash liveposting. For $2 a month, you can get access to part two and the rest of the premium episodes I have.